Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I review the latest Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, the darkness-centered horror movie, Lights Out, and the latest installment of the Ice Age franchise, Collision Course. Let's get started. Okay, let's never do that again. So yeah, I am pretty lukewarm on the Star Trek franchise. I was always more of a Star Wars kid, especially by the time the prequels came out. There's a lot more of a vamp into the games aspect. Battlefront 2 was my jam. I absolutely love Battlefront 2. Um, but Star Trek, I didn't get into until a lot later in life when I was... No, you know, when I cared more about writing and storytelling and character development, that sort of thing. And that's where I got into Star Trek was because there was a lot more of the writing aspect to Star Trek than there was to Star Wars. Star Wars was fairly simplistic and aimed to be more general, aimed to kind of tap into that old school sort of serial mentality of fun action rather than kind of heady storytelling. Whereas Gene Roddenberry was very much trying to be a commentator on the world as we know it and his hopes for the future. And I got more into that later on. I, I haven't watched any of the sequel series like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, anything like that. I did see the that they are doing a new one. I'm going to be interested to see how that turns out, if they are going to be trying to be more like the rebooted movies or the original TV series. But for the most part, Star Trek never quite scratched me where I itched enough to be, like, super into it, the way that I'm more into things like, say, Pokemon, or dinosaurs, or, you know, think, or the Star Wars franchise. Star Wars was very easy for me to get into, Whereas Star Trek was a lot harder for me to get into because it was a lot, it was a thinking man's show, and with the reboot, they've essentially the way I was thinking about it was Star Trek the original series is what it is you know it was a very intelligent show think of it as like a professor type and then he has a series of brothers or siblings however you want to refer to them. But he has a bunch of siblings, Next Generation, Enterprise, Deep Space Nine, all these different sideshows and follow-ups that are kind of following in his line. And they're all kind of like siblings. Whereas the rebooted franchise is like that first series son. And the first series was very thoughtful and thought a lot about issues and tackling di very diverse and very difficult subjects. And his son was like, screw you, Dad, I don't want to be like you. I want to be like my cousin Star Wars over there. He's having way more fun. And that's where we get the Star Trek Reaper franchise. It is Star Trek. It is the people with the Star Trek property wanting to make Star Wars. You know, it's like trying to put a red shirt on a stormtrooper, essentially. And that's not to say that it's a bad thing at all. I mean, I dug the reboot... The, you know, the original reboot, but yeah, I mean, it's very much trying to be a Star Wars movie, and especially 
and the follow-ups, they got way, way more into making a Star Wars style movie than in trying to write a Star Trek movie because that's what Star Trek was. It was always in the writing. And this reboot has always been more about the visuals and the action than about the writing, which is, which is why it's more comparable to Star Wars. But anyway, that's besides the point. Here, we follow up the personally disaster of a Wrath of Khan remake that was Star Trek Into Darkness. Because, yeah, no matter how you slice it, Star Trek Into Darkness is completely trying to remake Wrath of Khan only nowhere near as good. Doesn't have any of the history behind the characters. Doesn't have any of the intellect into the story. It is all in just taking the names and trying to recreate the iconic moments of Wrath of Khan without any of the actual impact that Wrath of Khan had. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a joke. It's, it's a terrible idea that somebody had and it completely flops in comparison to Wrath of Khan, which you can't not compare it to because it's all it does is make references and ties into the Wrath of Khan story. But we're not talking about Into Darkness. We're talking about Star Trek Beyond. And God, whoever was behind the naming of these reboot movies is terrible. You know, it's... I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to make plays off of the Trek motif to try and avoid the numbering system or the episodic nature of serial filmmaking that Star Wars had. But it's really... You know, it, it's, it's way easier to just call your movie Star Trek Three or something, you know? That's why it was so... Even the first Star Trek movie series had that going on. It was Star Trek, the motion picture, two, Wrath of Khan, three, Search for Spock, four, um, something about saving the whales, I forget, uh, Journey Home, I think it was, something like that, but it was all numbered. So, why, why try to, like, like, if you don't want to go for the numbers specifically, then you could always go the Marvel method of the colon. So Thor the Dark Thor colon the Dark World, Captain America colon the Winter Soldier. That's a way easier naming mechanism, and it's way c less clunky than trying to make puns off of the Trek part of your name. Anyway, the story here has Kirk and the Enterprise going into what the original series was about. Explore it, you know, to go to boldly go where no man has gone before. Explore new, explore new spaces. I forget what the they ended every movie with it as though to remind us, like, oh, by the way, this was supposed to be a Star Trek movie. But whatever the thing, you know, the whole point is the five year mission to explore new regions of space and discover new species and try to have them join the Federation of Planets and bring peace, you know, have this peace and amongst the, you know, the, the numerous galaxies. And this time around, they decide to go into a nebula after somebody comes out of it saying that they were attacked. And what it turns out is that there's this 
alien played by Idris Elba named Krall who wants to bring down the Federation. And he traps the, the crew of the Enterprise there because they have a device that is uh, an ancient biological weapon in order to... That, that they brought in from their last mission. And it's up to Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, and uh, this new character, Jayla, played by, I don't remember the name, but she is the actress who played the gazelle, I think was her name. I don't know if they called her gazelle or not, but she was the, she was the uh, athlete in uh, Kingsman, the Secret Service, that had the sort of, um, what do you call them, like propeller legs, I guess? Where they're, where they're like blades, and she actually used the blades as swords. And here she's in full-on makeup, playing uh, this alien character that's been trapped on the planet by a crawl. And it's, it, and yeah, once again, it's more along the lines of Star Wars, because the uh, the overall plot is fairly simple. Stop, crawl, save, save, the, save the Federation from this biological weapon. And it continues to have the same issues I've always had with this franchise in that they don't know exactly what to do with the other members of the Enterprise. Kirk, Spock, Bones, they've got them down. There, there's no problem with them. Uhura always, feel, always felt like they never knew what to do with her. And... Here, she's there's the continued storyline of her and Spock and their relationship travails. And she gets one scene of her being a communications officer on the planet and trying to use those skills to get a message out to, out to the Federation. But otherwise, she's just there to be the exposition recipient from Crawl and to learn... And to be the sort of avatar for the audience to learn what exactly the plot of the movie is. And there's really nothing more that she does in the movie. So she's just kind of there to be exposited towards. Meanwhile, you get a lot of character development between Bones and Spock. And Scotty gets a lot more to do as he befriends this Jaina, Jayla character. Because... Simon Pegg was one of the writers for this movie, so he beefs up the spot. So he beefs up the Scotty role, of course. <laughs> but like, even like Anton Yelchin, who just recently passed away, his character of Chekhov doesn't really get to do a whole lot. Neither does John Chu. As like the most they did with uh, John Chu's Su uh, Sulu is that they made him gay in a reference to the actual. You know, actual actor for Sulu, George Takei, who is an openly gay man and a very prominent gay advocate and activist. Advocate and, and is a very prominent gay advocate and activist. And, yeah, I'm kind of with him in the idea of them making Sulu gay. It's like, thanks for the nice touch in referencing me, but that's not the point. Like, there was no reason to make Sulu gay other than to be like, oh, now there's a gay character. Only there's no, imp like, 
they made him gay for like posterity to be like, okay, there's one scene of him with his husband, boyfriend, they never say, once again, they never say, they never develop the relationship. It's just there for visual sake to say, hey, look, we made Sulu gay. And that's about it. And like, good for you for acknowledging gay people exist in this federation, in the federation. But you did nothing with it. It was there so you could pat yourselves on the back for saying, look at us, be all progressive, adding a gay character. The gay character does nothing in the movie. Like, that, if Sulu did something, if Sulu was relevant to the plot, that would be something. If him being gay meant something, like he was standing up against somebody that was trying, you know, that, that, that kind of symbolized the struggle for gay equality in the world, then maybe that would make sense. Not to say that his gayness had to be a story element, but... You made him gay for the sake of making a character gay. Like, they could have easily just made Ahura break up with Spock and come out as a lesbian. It would have made just as much sense and had just as much impact on the story. Ugh, but those are... Yeah, that's... That's been my main issue with this reboot franchise is that compared to how well this TV series, the all of the TV series have been written in terms of character and in terms of representation and in terms of making these well-rounded, interesting characters, the movies have always been very caricature-ish. They don't want to go too deep. And they don't want to tell the kinds of stories that the TV series did. They want to be Star Wars. They want to be action-heavy. And they, like, the closest they try to get to Star Trek is to have these ex exposition dumps of technobabble to try and, like, explain what they're going to do next in the plot. But it doesn't make, you know, that just, 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 ugh. But that never really makes it feel more Trekky. It doesn't make it feel like a Star Trek thing by you making this techno-babble exposition dump. It just, you know, it just wastes time. I mean, like, they did have a discussion. Like, that's the whole thing. Star Trek has always been about dialogue and discussion and thinking, being a thinking man's show, so to speak. And the movies don't want to be that. But they feel like they're beholden to try and be that... And in doing so, they've got this weird dichotomy of half-assed, you know, exposition and trying to be, you know, try, it's like a half-assed version of, of a first-year writing student's idea of trying to write a, a smart man story, a smart story, and a bunch of kids playing with toys, you know, like, and then the ship's going this, and then there's like a and that's been this reboot franchise in a nutshell. It's people who don't, who are like half-assing trying to write a story in order for them to just play with their toys. It's like a kid who's just like, oh, I gotta write a story. <sighs> Fine. Then this happens. Da -da 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 -da. Can I play with my toys now? Uh, ironically enough, I don't know how many Star Trek toys are out there for them to for kids to play with, but. At any rate, this movie was okay. 
like, it, it, like it was on par with that reboot movie, which I I'd never really go back to. I'd never like Star Trek hasn't really interested me as much as stuff in the Star Wars universe has. But if I was going to do Star Trek, I would not go to these movies. These movies are like knockoff Star. It's like when you go to a thrift store or a you know or like a flea market and there's somebody is trying to sell you like bootleg you know knockoff toys of more popular franchises and that's kind of what Star Trek is to Star Wars because the this reboot franchise just is begging to let it be called a Star Wars movie but they're stuck in the Star Trek franchise and I feel like until the producers like I feel like I don't know I feel like this reboot franchise is going to play itself out and it's not gonna, it's not going to last anywhere near as long as those old series have, and that people will probably go back to the 60s version way more than they would ever go back to that 09 movie or any of the sequels. Because there's nothing really to them. Like, if you want to introduce people to Kirk and Spock and Bones and Sulu and Chekhov and Uhura and all these interesting ideas and characters, then you would go to the TV show because the TV show develops them more, makes them more interesting. And you could watch the movies, you know, that they get more in the, you know, they're not, they don't get as much out of the movies as they do out of the show. But these reboot movies haven't really done anything for them. And it sucks that this is probably going to be uh, Anton Yelchin's last uh, movie in his filmography, unless they dig up something that hasn't been released and plaster it out that he was in it, so it can be a posthumous release, another posthumous release. But he really didn't get to do anything. And what sucks is Anton Yelchin has been able to do so much in other franchises, whereas here he's just kind of in the background so that we can focus more on Spock, Kirk, and Bones. And none of the other characters really get to shine as much. And it stinks that we never really got to see Anton Yelchin do a lot as Chekhov, even though it was one of his most prominent roles and you know, when he was alive. And so yeah, this movie was dedicated to Leonard Nima, who also died in between uh Into Darkness and this movie, and Anton Yelchin, who just recently passed away out of just a sheer accident. And thankfully, they aren't going to try and recast Chekhov, but I don't know if that means they're going to try and continue this movie franchise, or they're just going to let it go, just end it. But we'll find out, I guess. Depends on how well this, if, the, if, this, if this movie does well, then maybe they'll go on to the next generation, and they'll try to do that, and they'll recast Patrick Stewart and uh, and Michael Dorn and Brent Spiner and all of them and oh God help them for whoever they try to recast as Q if that's the way they go. But honestly, I'm I'm I'd be okay if this is where the if it just ended up being a whole reboot trilogy and they just stopped, be, and then they just left Star Trek for the TV sh show. 
you know, they just left it for the television universe and they didn't try to make any more movies. I'd be okay with that because honestly, I feel like Star Trek does way better on television than it has done on, like the best thing Star Trek did for film was Wrath of Khan. And then anything else, none of the other movies have really, if they're good, they haven't been as good, but otherwise they're not, you know, they're not all that great. Anyway, that, that so yeah. It's been more of a commentary on my issues with the Star Trek, the handling of the Star Trek reboot, and my thoughts on the Star Trek franchise as a whole that it has been about the actual movie. But the, the movie's just kind of there. Like, it's really trying to be Star Wars, and it's visuals, and it's action, and it's kind of a... Like, it's... Like, the Star Trek reboot franchise has been a better Star Wars movie than the prequels have... But that's about it. There's nothing else more to say. I mean, it's not all that interesting. Is you know they're not they're not they don't do well compared to the original series, and compared to the better compared to what they're trying to rip off from Star Wars, they don't compare either. So yeah, Star Trek Beyond. If you, I mean, if you wanna, you can go see it. I guess. You know. Great praise coming from the Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Star Trek Beyond. I guess. It's a movie. It's definitely a movie. You can see it. I guess, if you want. Anyway. We need to find more light. So, I'm not a big fan of horror movies. Mainly because, as I've grown up, horror, I've was so interested in the filmmaking aspect behind stuff, but who made things and what made movies good, even at a young age. Like, I would say in the credits for movies, even at a young age, to see who did everything. And horror was one of those genres that never quite appealed to me, mainly because a lot of horror movies try way too hard, and, and many of them don't deliver. Like... There are a couple of Stephen King... Like, I remember my... There was a whole thing when I was growing up where my brother and sister were watching Pet Cemetery, and there was a scene of the, of the dead guy that haunts the main character. And I was watching him... Watch it, and I walked into the room while they were watching it and asking, what's going on? And they were describing, oh, no, that's okay, that's the ketchup man. Because he was all a rotting corpse, and there was blood and flesh dripping all over him. But I mean, like the there, you know, there are certain Stephen King movies I still find genuinely creepy and terrifying, and you know, there are some horror movies that I do hold up. Exorcist, um, The Thing, definitely, Silence of the Lambs. If you want to count that as horror, or depending on whether or not you feel that's horror or thriller, maybe. But horror has just been one of those genres, and like all of the horror movies released this year. Most of them have just been kind of, eh. Like, Conjuring 2, 
was not I didn't I didn't much care for the shallows was laughably bad in my opinion uh, the boy from way back at the beginning of the year wasn't all that great and here we've got something that's probably equal to the witch uh, which was the one about the uh, evangelist sort of Puritan uh, family that moves out of the village to live in the wilderness because they don't because the father doesn't think the the church in the town is Christian enough. It is you know he's he like he thinks the the church in the town isn't living up to the gospel as much as he would like. So he moves out and they're excommunicated from the town. And it's a I think that's a great is a great setup. And there's it's a nice sort of devolution, I guess you would call it, as the family breaks apart and goes slowly insane because of everything that's been going on in the wilderness. And I would put Lights Out second behind that in terms of high-quality horror movie. Um, the story here is... A uh, family is tormented by, they never say if it's like a ghost or a demon, but the remnant, the spirit, but like it's like a vengeful sort of spirit of this girl that the mom knew growing up. And she is completely averse to the light. And after a certain, and there's a, and the movie is about how the kids are tormented and haunted by this spirit girl who's like leaving clawed writings in the wood and completely terrorizing them whenever they're whenever the lights are out. And the mom has come gone completely off her rocker. Uh, the mom is played by Maria Bello, who does a great job of trying to play kind of playing this sort of manic and manic depressive, I guess. But like She's very, like, she's very broken up about her, number one, her daughter leaving her when she was young, and her, and her husband died, uh, the girl's father died, and, and, at, and at the beginning of the movie, the son's father also dies, and so the, the woman keeps losing her, her husbands, and the kids keep leaving her, and she's very broken up, and all she has, really, is this girl that she remembers from growing up, and it's about her, and it's about, mainly about her trying to regain control of herself and, and not let this spirit take over her. And... It's not perfect. Like, I will say the lot, the, besides Maria Bello, and there are points where, like, the kid who plays her son does a good job, but otherwise, a lot of the acting is pretty, kind of, pretty, like, mediocre. Like, it's not, it's, sometimes it gets pretty corny and melodramatic, but when it's not that, when it is trying to, play up the character moments and and go into the daughter's history and her relationship with her half-brother. That part's, I, th that part gets, you know, lets it be interesting. Uh, Teresa Palmer is the main character who plays the daughter. And she's alright. She's not great. 
But she, you know, she does about as well as Amelia Clark did in The Forest, which is another stinker. But I think what docks this movie the most is when it tries to adhere to a lot of the sto the horror tropes. You know, the jump scares and the music elements and all of the ooh, spooky stuff. Well, when it's not trying to do that and it's focusing more on the characters and the story it's trying to tell and on the aspects of this entity and how it works and how they try to fight it. That's interesting. That is really cool. And I definitely liked what they were trying to do. And is this, a, this is a guy who's adapting his short film. And the short film was a lot about that, of this this ghost that comes out only when the lights go out. And so it's about a, you know, the woman who does make an appearance in the beginning of the movie. And the woman tries to fight back against this ghost as, you know, by keeping all the lights on. And it is an interesting idea. I could see why they tried to adapt it to full length. And the, what the guy is adhering is trying to deviate away from all the terrible stuff that I can't stand about horror movies, you know, the boom and the, the, the you know, it's like, you know, somebody slamming down on a keyboard to be like, you know, it's like, it's like trying to wake you up almost. And when it's not trying to sort of, oh, look, here's something, you know, it's like, you, if I'm trying, I'm doing a bad job conveying it, but if, you understand what I'm saying? It's those things of like, oh, there's something spooky in the background, and oh, there's, oh, hello, oh, look good there, there it comes. Here's the spooky thing. It's all the stuff that I didn't like about The Conjuring. It's all the stuff I didn't like about the forest and the boy. All these things, and when it's not doing that, it is genuinely interesting and cool. And I would like to see what this guy would do if he was allowed to do more of that and less of the jump scares and the weak attempts to try and scare people. But yeah, Lights Out, it's interesting. Not great, but it is interesting and I would like to see what the guy does next. Do you mind? Fun sucker! Incoming! Boom! Boom! Get inside the cave! Hurry, Granny! Don't you hurry me! Sage movie, Collision Course. Now, I'm old enough to remember when the first Ice Age came out, and I thought the first Ice Age was okay. Looking back on it, it doesn't really hold up. It is very much, you know, a kid mindset for a movie. And when you start to look at it, you realize, oh wait, this isn't all that funny, and it isn't all that fun to watch. And the sequels got progressively and progressively weirder. Like, they... Like, the second one was, like, making... 
Queen Latifah's mammoth character, a possum, raised by possums, so she has the ability to hold her entire weight by her tail. And then it's like, oh, they bring back the dinosaurs, because the dinosaurs are all still alive somehow in the third one. And then it's pirates in the fourth one, and now it's Armageddon. And they do make sure to reference Armageddon, along with a lot of other things. But yeah, the Ice Age franchise has progressively shown how, how far animators and filmmakers try to go in order to appeal to children. And, like, a lot of my issues with stuff like Angry Birds and uh, Norm of the North, stuff like The Nut Job, all these other weird animated, like, really cheaply made. You know, there's not a lot of quality in the animation stuff, but there's not a lot of thought put into it either. A lot of my issues with them is they focus so much on slapstick and, like, body humor, especially excrement humor. Like, I, they were probably, like, a fifth of this movie, I would say, is poop jokes. Straight-up poop jokes. And looking back, apparently, this whole franchise has a fascination with poop and making jokes about poop. And... If you're if you genuinely care about the story, it's it's uh, Simon Pegg's character. So this is technically Simon Pegg's second movie out this weekend. Uh, his character of Buck the Weasel comes back and pulls a full-on Daffy Duck in and helps lead the main characters who are now up to Manny the Elephant. Played by Ray Romano, uh, his wife, played by Queen Latifah, their kid, played by Kiki Palmer, Dennis Leary as the saber-toothed tiger, played, and John Leguizamo as Sid the Sloth. Uh, somewhere along the line, they picked up Wanda Sykes as Sid's grandma, and for this movie, Kiki Palmer as Peaches, which is a ter which is a terrible, terrible name to give to any child, uh, her character of Peaches gets a boyfriend that uh, that uh, there that she's about to marry, and it's about that. And of course, they bring back J Lo's character from the last movie, who plays Dennis Leary's love interest, for like one for like one twentieth of the movie that she's in it. Uh, when she's you know when J Lo actually has a speaking role, and she's not somewhere in the background. <laughs> Bring back J-Lo for, like, three line readings, and then we're done. We can't afford her for that much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they the whole crew teams up with Buck the Weasel to try and stop this asteroid while Scrap the Squirrel is out in space in a UFO in a complete non-sequitur to the entire rest of the movie. Because that's what Scrat has always been. He's been trying to be Blue Sky's mascot and be this slapstick creature, like, the way, a way for them to be like old Looney Tunes cartoons, but nowhere near as funny or interesting. And 
they're followed by three bird-like dinosaurs that can fly, played by Nick Offerman, I believe Stephanie Beatriz from New, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and some other guy, I don't know, but there's like an awkward, nerdy son who gets picked on all the time. And it just feels like a complete excuse to just, okay, look, it's like homework almost for them. Okay, look, they want us to do another Ice Age. Let's just get it done. Don't even try, because the amount of the movie that was complete filler and right up to the point where they end the movie on a musical number. Any animated movie that ends on a musical number gets an automatic downgrade in my book, because that means you literally gave up. I'm not saying animated movies can't have musical numbers, but if you're not a musical, if there were no other musical numbers throughout the entire rest of your movie, and you end it on a musical, Despicable Me does this all the time. And you see this in a lot of really cheap anime. Shrek did this, too. And it's a cheap way to end the movie because you ran out of literally anything else and you're just trying to pad out the time. And uh, I I feel like I, can't, I don't need, It's not that I hate this movie. It's just I there's nothing to say. We're five movies into this Ice Age franchise and there is literally nothing to say about it. Like, they introduce a character for Sid to... As a love interest for Sid, played by, um, what's her name? Uh, not British, she's British Katy Perry. Um, Lily J something? Lily something? Um, Jesse J. That's who it was. Jesse J. And... I, I just don't care. Like, I, there's, there's nothing. This movie is a nothing. The only thing it provided for me is that, along with Star Trek, is a topic for this discussion, which is when, you know, the, the length that a studio will go to keep a franchise going long after it's lived its, you know, usefulness in... Entertainment, you know, long after it's it's been entertaining or been interesting to watch. So yeah, that is Ice Age Five. Just, just let it die. Like my my review, my review following the movie. Come, yeah, you know, my review after leaving the movie early because if you are an animated movie and you end on a musical, and if, and it's right about the end, and you start a musical number, I'm leaving. I am done. I'm not waiting for the credits. I'm not sitting through any credits. I am done with you. I If you're not going to try, I'm not going to try. I quit. I know it's a two quo vo, you know, but I, I, I don't have enough time anymore to sit through you not caring. 
So yeah, if you're an animated movie and you end on a musical number for no reason, then I'm leaving because that means, oh, this movie was supposed to end five minutes ago. Okay, this is where the movie is supposed to end. Okay, see ya. But yeah, my review following the movie was the Simpsons quote, Stop, stop, he's already dead. Because yeah, this franchise should have died by the time the dinosaurs showed up. It should have died after the pirates. And now that they've spoofed Armageddon, along with countless other... Oh, God. Why is yoga a joke? Is yoga supposed to be funny? Because that's the whole thing is, number one, they introduce a sort of guru figure played as a... That's a llama. They go with Shangri-Lama. Because, God forbid, they insult the Dalai Lama, which would have been a way funnier joke. He is the Dalai Lama. That joke has been made before, way back in the 90s with Animaniacs. But if you're not going to try, then at least do the joke that makes sense. Why the Shangri-Lama? Dalai Lama literally has llama in it, and it's a llama. You made it a llama. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, that was the whole thing in the trailer with, along with Angry Birds, the idea of, oh, look, downward dog. They're bending over and showing us their butts. Get it? It's a joke, somehow. That's supposed to be the joke. That's the joke. And it's not a funny one, and I don't get where this started or why we can't let that die, too. Stop it. Try harder. Make actual jokes. <sighs> so, yeah. Ice Age Collision Course. I've... You know what? If the movie's not going to try, neither am I in reviewing it. To quo vo. My review is... I'm done. Screw you guys. I'm going home. Okay. After the break, I'm going to get into a very last minute discussion because I had no idea what else I would talk about. And I was having a hard time coming up with examples to talk about. But yeah, the desperate attempts to make a franchise longer. It's a very scattershot kind of discussion because it's kind of a sequel discussion, but it's it's kind of commenting on the lengths that a studio will go if something makes money. And so basically, this discussion is mostly about how a studio will keep a franchise alive 
when it doesn't really have legs to stand on. Like, did we really need Ice Age sequels, you know? That sort of thing. But uh, the way I wanted to start it was kind of break these down into sort of uh, little sub-areas, I guess. But the first thing when it comes to ways to keep a franchise going is a very generic sequel trope where the sequel is a glorified remake of the original. And there are so many to name that all I could think of in terms of desperate attempts were these to try to narrow it down. First up, Teen Wolf T-O-O. Teen Wolf 2 which was telling the same story as Teen Wolf with Jason Bateman instead of Michael J. Fox and boxing instead of basketball. There was no reason for a Teen Wolf 2 or multiple Teen Wolves. I don't know how the how good the TV series MTV did was. I think it's trying to be more like Twilight than like Teen Wolf, but... There was... I mean, did you... And of course, instead of the number two, it's T-O-O. -O. Like, he's also a teen wolf. Because they well, because that they have to try to be clever for this hack job of a sequel that nobody was asking for. Uh, on a bigger scale, we go to Dumb and Dumber T-O-2. Uh, because they're too stupid to know the differences between... Two, two, and two. Something Teen Wolf 2 and Dumb and Dumber 2 have in common. Not knowing the differences between the three twos. And Dumb and Dumber 2 was a glorified remake of the original, only nowhere near as funny as that original. Like, they was trying to recapture some kind of magic that the original had at the time, but 20 years later, that wasn't there anymore. It was unnecessary. And I think it's just one of those things where in a desperate attempt to try and make a seek, trying to hold on to some sort of relevancy. And the, and the problem was Jeff Daniels was just on a really fantastic show, uh, The Newsroom, on, I believe, HBO, where he was doing really serious work. I think he was also making uh, The Martian at the time. The Martian or... Something. Yeah, The Martian, where he was the guy at the head of NASA who was trying to cover up for him being left there. And so he's doing all this great, serious work, and then all of a sudden he shows up in this hunk of junk with the, the trying like a do a pull a favor for the Fairley brothers, I guess, because they haven't been able to make a good movie in years, if they've ever made a good movie at all. And Jim Carrey who's gone off the deep end, and it's trying to recapture that magic of the, of the original Dumb and Dumber movie, but it's not there anymore. It just isn't there anymore. And, man, you want to talk about glorified remakes? Uh, the Home Alone franchise, because Home Alone needed more than the one movie. Like, the first movie was fun. It was a cute little movie that's, like, like a kid-friendly home invasion movie where the kid's using little traps to screw with these guys that are trying to rob his house. 
that's fine. That's fun. You know, it's cute. It's not great. It probably won't hold up, but it was cute at the time. Somehow his parents are so neglectful, they forget him again, and he gets lost in New York. And then somehow we try to spin that off into other families completely neglecting their children. Like again, that first Home Alone was fun. You could have just left it at that. The sequel wasn't. It was. It was weird. It was. Tr it was a glorified remake because it is trying. It is the kid gets left home alone. Only his home now is a hotel room in New York with Tim Curry and Rob Schneider. And then, of course, the direct-to-video spinoffs because nobody else wanted more Home Alone. We're moved up. We were, like, the first movie was cool. We saw what they were trying to do with the second one. We're like, okay, we're good. Yeah, we're good. And then they kept coming out with more, like, what are you doing? We said we were good. Yeah, but here, how about this one? We said we were good. You can stop now. Do you have a problem? Like, do you seriously have a problem because you're still trying to do this? And then the fifth one, they, there was a fifth one where they completely remade it, where they recast um, uh, whatever Macaulay Culkin's character's name was and threw him a bone and gave him a cameo in the movie. And I think, like, French Stewart or something was playing the Daniel Stern role, but just a completely desperate attempt to try and keep the franchise alive because Home Alone needed to be kept on life support. It was that good of a franchise. Uh, on a much bigger scale, because there's going to be a lot of direct video stuff that I'm going to be talking about. That's where the real desperation comes in. But the Hangover series, that first Hangover, was a lot of fun. It was weird and out there and it was like a great little... It was a great kind of like... Surprise comedy. The two sequels were completely unnecessary. The second one, where they did the same thing in Bangkok, and the third one, which was like, what the what the what? Like the the third one was more of a was like a desperate attempt at trying to keep the franchise going. Whereas the second one was was the glorified remake. It was like it was we're doing it again. But it was fun. Like it was fun the first time because we didn't expect it. It was came out of nowhere. But now that we know the jokes and what you're doing, just doing it again doesn't make any sense. Like why would like even if you change the characters around, we didn't need another hangover. You know, like that first hangover was cool. But the more like. It's the law of diminishing returns. Like, the more you try to do something, the, the lower in quality it gets. So, yeah, we didn't need more hangovers. <laughs> Very apropos. And then the last one for this group I had was The New Karate Kid, which was a sequel that was essentially a remake of that original Karate Kid movie with a girl instead of Ralph Macchio, who was a full-grown adult by that point. And just the ways that they tried to keep 
karate kid going. And not, nothing to do with, like, the kung fu kid, which was, which was what the remake was. There's no karate in China. It's kung fu. Who is teaching karate in China? I mean, you probably can learn karate in China. But why would you go to China to learn karate? Just the logistics of trying to make the Karate Kid in China is still mind-boggling to me. But push that aside because that's not important. That original series, the first Karate Kid was a, was a nice, cheesy, kiddie 80s movie. 80s movie. Sequel, they take it to Japan, and it's something a little different. Third one was a desperate attempt, was, was its own desperate attempt, because Ralph Macchio is a grown-ass man, and he's still having problems and having to turn to Pat Morita for help. <laughs> but, yeah, and then they follow that up, because Ralph Macchio, they didn't want to bring back or something, something happened, and they brought in Hilary Swank to do a remake of that original Karate Kid, only now Pat Morita's teaching a girl to do karate. See, this is what I'm saying. I mean, there's ways to be creative within sequels, and if a studio wants a sequel, you can be creative. Like, I, I, the one thing I didn't include on this list is Season of the Witch, the uh, Halloween 3. And... The reason I didn't include it is because the whole idea behind it was they wanted to deviate from Michael Myers and to be creative and to tell more like what Trick or Treat was trying to do. Halloween-based stories. So the Halloween franchise would have been less about Michael Myers and more about spooky stories that happened at Halloween. It was an anthology series. I would have been way into that, but they already set the precedent by having two movies about Michael Myers. That's where they went wrong. So I don't hold. I feel like the more they did with Michael Myers was where they're getting desperate because they realized they had a hit character on their hand and they wanted to keep that going. Whereas I would have been completely down with a Halloween anthology series. But yeah, that's not going to be on here. Uh, the next grouping I have is the weak connections. The, the very faint connections to the previous movie. And the first up was S. Darko. I've never seen this movie. I have no idea what it's about. All I know is that it was a direct-to-video sequel to the 2001 goth classic Donnie Darko that focused on his sister, who was once again played by DeVay Chase. And I, like, I don't get wh what, I don't know if Frank the Rabbit returns. Like, the whole thing about Donnie Darko was, it was a mind screw. It was, it was a, it was a mind effort. It was about, you know, it was, it was like a guy who was on drugs for the first time wrote a movie. Essentially, and it's about try to it is tries to go into the quant quant into quantum theory, and things like that, and mental illness, and all of this in the pre in the setting of 
the suburbs where it is usually sort of boring and plain, but it's all also kind of covers the inner madness of living in the suburbs. And I haven't gone back to it. I remember liking it, but I was also a teenager at the time, and I think it catered more to my interests. I feel like if I went back to it now and actually looked at it with a with my current mindset, I probably wouldn't like it as much. I don't know. I'd have to actually sit back and watch it, but when they first announced S. Darko, I was completely baffled. Not only because it was like eight years or ten, like a, a whole decade since that original movie, but it had literally nothing to do other than his sister, played by the same actress, returns in a completely different scenario with nothing to do with that first movie. So, like, what was the point? Like, I don't know if this was a rebranded movie, which I'll get into in a bit, but why, why was this made? Why did we need this sequel to Donnie Darko about his sister? That is literally nothing like the first... Uh, here's one I found out about. American Psycho 2. There is a movie out there starring Mila Kunis that is a sequel, like an official sequel. Not like... Because apparently there are unofficial sequels like Happily Ever After by Filmation or this one rich dentist out in Montana made his own sequel to Easy Rider. But this was an official sequel to American Psycho, starring Mila Kunis as the daughter to one of the victims of the first movie, or a baby sitter. Like, there were the 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 the, the strains to trying to connect these two things. It made no sense. Just me trying to read it. I mean. You know what, I probably should pull it up to try and explain what the heck I'm talking about. Direct-to-video, of course, Natch, features William Shatner as her professor. Film starts with a 12-year-old girl whose babysitter is on a date with serial killer Patrick Bateman. After Bateman kills and starts to dissect her babysitter, the girl stabs him with an ice pick. Fast forward to the present day, and the girl who is named Rachel Newman is now a college student studying criminology under Professor Starkman, a former FBI agent. Rachel aspires to join the FBI and is determined to get the teaching assistant position under Starkman, which would make her a shoe-in for the FBI training program. I'm sorry, what? How, how did... This is... If you've ever heard of the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Uh, which which is a movie... Which is sort of like a movie comedy podcast about uh, Paul Shear, the comedian, his wife, June Diane Raphael. He says Raphael. So June Diane Raphael and uh, comedian Jason Manzukis, as they and a special guest come in and review terrible, terrible movies. And I feel like... And and the question is always, how did this get made? Like who how how did this happen? Who let this happen? And this is my complete thought for how, how that is my only thought to this when I learned about it. How? Just how? Number like I get the idea of 
like if they called this something, like this is the thing. This is where I'll get into rebranded movies later. If they called it something else and had no ties to something previously existing, they probably would have been just fine. But the links that some people will go to try and tie in movies, and yeah, surprise, surprise, Christian Bale doesn't make any returns as Patrick Bateman. So, yeah, no real ties to that original movie, but God, they just... They just really wanted to make sure that American, the story behind American Psycho continued and a girl who was babysitted by the one of the victims of Patrick Bateman. Like, these are seven degrees of Kevin Bacon that I can't get behind, you know? The kind of lengths that they'll go to try and keep something alive. And next up, we've got... Grease 2! Yes, there was a Grease 2 starring Michelle Pfeiffer. And the only, and it still takes place at Rydell High. The only connection we have to that original movie is Frenchie. The original actress who plays Frenchie is the only returning character. There is literally nothing to do between Grease 2 and the original Grease other than they just really wanted to keep the idea of these 50s kids going. So, <laughs> more of the same. Frenchie was held back, which is depressing. God, that's just depressing to learn. Frenchie <laughs> dropped out of school to go into cosmetology, and here we learn she has to come back and has been held back at school. That's just depressing. You know, those are the kind of depressing facts that happen when you try to keep something going that's completely unnecessary and you have to retcon all these different plot points. Uh, going back to direct video land, we've got the Lost Boys sequels, which came out, I think, 20 years after the original, and were only brought back because Corey Feldman needed work. And... It's trying to capture that element of The Lost Boys without any of the actual fun or good writing. And all it has tying to those original move to that original movie, which was pretty good. I dug The Lost Boys for what it was. And these sequels, all of them I've seen, like the camera, the cinematography for those are just like home video quality. They're terrible and even Corey Feldman, like, the fact that they, they only could bring back Corey Feldman shows how desperate the whole thing is, because he looks terrible. And they bring back Corey Haim because this happened before Corey Haim died. Uh, they bring back Corey Haim for the, for the second sequel, because there were two of them. And, yeah, it's... It rang of des It reeked of desperation. And... It's just, you know, the whole thing to try and keep Corey Feldman's career going and make sure he's got some modicum of an income. But, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> this is probably going to be my most depressing episode to think about. But we continue on with another really weak connection. Uh, not as weak. It is... Uh, it's Speed 2. And they bring back Sandra Bullock for the sequel... Reprising her role, none of the other original characters from the movie return for the sequel. It's just 
I think Sandra Bullock, some other guy as her love interest, and I believe Willem Dafoe as the bad guy. And it's on a boat this time. Same plot. Completely same plot, only now it's on a boat, and it's more about Sandra Bullock's character. I feel like that's the whole thing, is that when you can't... Like, even getting back the original cast and directors and writers can't save a sequel, so why are you trying to just... just keep something going that you've already tied up? I mean, that was the whole thing. I forgot to mention in it in the notes, but the Highlander series. Highlander was so perfectly, like, ended. Like, there was a perfect little bow tied into the story, and then they tried to keep it going, and they unraveled that neat little bow tie that they had. And that's what a lot of this is. Like, after Speed 2, I've got the Jaws sequels. Like, the first Jaws... Fantastic. Phenomenal movie. Amazing. Sequel is another one of those glorified remakes. Then we get into the two sequels after that first sequel. Because there are four Jaws movies. First one, great. Phenomenal. Second one, nowhere near as great. Third one, now it takes place at SeaWorld and is in 3D, so it's like you can touch it! This third sequel... This, so the second, yeah, so it's a 3D movie where Dennis Quaid plays the uh, now adult son of Roy Scheider's character from the first movie. I think it's the second son, his youngest son. And he is now working at essentially SeaWorld. And a Jaws goes crazy and attacks this new SeaWorld. And <laughs> I love it. I just remember the one scene of them, of like this obviously fake shark swimming at the glass to try and kill these people because they're in like an underwater walkway. And the, jaw, and the Jaws shark swims at it, and it's obviously like a fake paper mache shark. And then it swims at the trip towards the screen, and then a fake, like after effects, pre after effects sort of, like, um, glass shat like, they superimpose glass shattering as the shark swims towards the screen. <laughs> and it's so fake. It's so fake. It's terrible. It's awesome that they thought that they could get away with that in a freaking multi-dollar action move. They thought this was going to be okay. No one would notice obviously not real shark swimming at nothing and then superimposed glass shattering. Oh, God. And then they managed to top that by bringing back the wife character from the first movie to reprise her role. They've killed off Roy Scheider's character to cancer, I think. And then, while she's in Amity, the shark returns. And I just, I was just listening to Game Grimms from yesterday, that's currently in the early hours of Tuesday, the 26th of July, 2016, to 
mark this for posterity, and I was watching yesterday's Game Grumps, and Danny brought back up the Jaws the Revenge and Roger Ebert's, bull, like, glorious takedown of how terrible the movie is and how it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> and uh, no self... What self-respecting shark wouldn't want revenge for being killed? <laughs> that whole thing. So, and of course, Warshider doesn't get killed by a shark. He dies because of cancer. <laughs> like, they couldn't even get the idea of, like, the shark kills Roy Scheider. That would have been perfect. Like, then it comes for the rest of his family. That would have been, like, the, like, writing one, screenwriting 101. Shameless, terrible screenwriting 101. The shark kills Roy Scheider off screen, and then it comes for the rest of the family. Nope, Roy Scheider dies of cancer, and it still comes for the rest of the family. <laughs> Oh, uh, then they go down to the Bahamas. It follows them, the shark, which is supposedly, like, the shark from the first movie. Oh, God, I have to look this up. Please tell me it is the shark from the first movie. Okay, it's not cancer, it's a heart attack. From the Devotion to Accuracy Department. Ellen, returning, played by Lorraine Gary, attributes his heart attack to the... Fear of sharks. You can't make this up, people. And, she, okay, it's not technically the shark from the first movie, I don't think. I can't tell if it's supposed to be the shark from the first movie or just a shark. But... She thinks that the shark is out for revenge. That this random, unrelated great white shark is out for revenge for the death of the last great white shark. Or last, which one? Last, there's been like three that you've killed off. And Michael King shows up for, and for something he's completely admitted it was a paycheck job. So that, you know, he's never, I've never seen the movie, but I have seen, I have I have lived in the house that the movie paid for. I think that was the line, but it was just, uh, it was completely just like, yep, this is all for the money. Just don't, don't care. And he, uh, and yeah, that's it. That whole franchise is a desperate attempt to keep the money coming in from that, from one of the first blockbusters ever. One of the defining blockbuster movies in history, and the desperate attempts that they that Universal went to to try and keep making money off of it are glorious. Uh, and they were so shameless that even Back to the Future made sure to make them to mock it, saying Jaws nineteen coming in twenty twelve. I think it twenty sixteen. No, it was, it was always by ten, so it was nineteen eighty three. Fifty-three? No. Crap. It was just last year, 2015. 1985, 55, 2015. I got it. I'm tired. I'm sick. I just want this to be over. Next up, Fern Gully 2. Here are the desperate ties that Fern Gully 2 tried to make 
in order to continue its direct-to-video story. Instead of being about Krissa from the first movie, who was the main character, who was the little fairy main character, this is about the male fairy and the Beetle Boys trying to save little baby Australian animals. Um, why isn't this about Krista again? Krista, whatever her name is? Why is this about a side character? Like, where was the story? Like, this could have easily been about Krista again. But it's not. And I don't know why that is. See, it makes sense when you continue the story about the main character from the last movie. But, like another movie that I forgot to mention that was also listed in my research, Roadhouse 2, whatever the subtitle was for that piece of crap, it was about Patrick Swayze's son. Because we can't get, we gotta keep going with this money train and Patrick Swayze won't come back. It's now about his son. But no, they, they, they drew in Krista. She's in the background now. It's now about these guys who we know nothing about. And they went on to teach us nothing about them. I don't get your movie. I don't get why you do these things. Uh, and then the last one for these weak connections sort of sub-section sub is the Amityville Horror Series. The further that went on, for those who don't know... Um, the Amityville Horror was about the Lucas, I think, family? Some family living up in Amityville, Maine or something, some, somewhere up in the northeast in um, New England. Maybe New York, maybe New upper, upstate New York, but it was one of the most documented, quote-unquote, actual hauntings in paranormal history. And it was all just plastered about how this was a true story. This actually happened to this family. Lutz family. L-U-T-Z. Lutz. And, ooh, this, and how this family was being haunted after the house was cursed because the previous owner killed his entire family in it. And they built that into the film franchise and has since gone. I mean, the longer you... I mean, the paranormal aspect of it, but take of it what you will, I don't buy any of it because none of it is you know, scientifically provable. Like, if they had actual, you know, scientific evidence of the events, it's all psychological and it's all very much hearsay. But... The film franchise that they built out of it doesn't help their case for it being a true story. Because the longer it went on, the curse went from the house itself to the town outlying the house to, I kid you not, before the movie got rebooted for, um, I believe it was Josh... Here, let me pull up the franchise. 
Oh, oh God, there's a whole series of books about it, too. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, here we go. 2005, starring Ryan Reynolds as uh, George Lutz. But here are the links to... Before that remake, before that remake with um, Ryan Reynolds in 05, the last Amityville horror movie they did was a directed video and went like this. Newlyweds Claire and Martin moved to their new, fam- their new family into a new house constructed by Bill himself. Bill and Claire Martin. Um, shortly after moving in Bill, in Bill finds a dollhouse. Modeled after 112 Ocean Avenue, the Amityville house. And the shed. He brings it into the house and puts it in the garage. Later that night, the dollhouse comes to life and makes the fireplace turn on. If you haven't caught on, this is literally saying that... A model doll, a dollhouse modeled after the Amityville house is evil and tries to kill the family. This whole new family. And this is to say that all of this stemmed from what was supposedly a true story of a haunted house. Kind of hard to take you seriously when stuff like this happens. And they're still making. Apparently they are still making... Amityville movies, because there was, starting in 2013, oh, that, that's why, oh god, that's why, the, the Asylum, best known for their mockbuster movies, such as The Da Vinci Treasure, Pirates of Treasure Island, Transmorphers, Alien vs. Hunter, 30,000 Leagues Under the Sea, I Am Omega, The Day the Earth Stopped. Yeah, this, if you haven't caught on yet, they are, the asylum is notorious for their terrible, terrible, shameless attempts at making knockoff movies and apparently they got a hold of the Amityville series and have been making them since 2011. So we've got the Amityville Haunting, Asylum, Death House, Playhouse, Amityville No Escape just released. There have been three. Three released this year with a fourth one on the way. Amityville No Escape, Amityville Vanishing Point, Amityville Legacy, the Amityville Legacy, and Amityville Terror, with another one slated for 2017, starring Bella Thorne, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Kurt Wood Smith, called Amityville The Awakening, coming to theaters. Oh yeah, this is getting a theatrical release date with Dimension Films. No less. So there's going to be an all-new Amityville movie after four were released this year. There's going to be a whole new Amityville movie coming out in January of 2017. Based on a true story. Remember that. Based 
on the true story. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of director video, that's going to be the main chunk of this discussion because a bunch of franchises are built entirely around the home video market. Notoriously, the first one, Disney. Disney was the worst at just churning out sequel after sequel after sequel to its home video market for no reason. Other than the money. Other than there was a market there. There was, there was, a, there was a hole in the market and they decided to fill it with garbage. And that's what we got. Yeah, that's, that's where you get all kinds of Cinderella 2 and Fox and the Hound 2 and Bambi 2. Fun fact, Bambi 2 was my first attempt at making a video series about sequels. Because I was going to do a whole thing of a Nostalgia Critic-inspired video reviewer. And I was going to do three series. Bad Adaptation, about movies that were adapted from a source material. Epic Fail, about movies that flopped hard at the box office. And what was originally called a sequelitis until I gave that up because of its connotation with Aaron Hansen's uh, series about the four episode series about video games, sequelitis. And I called it sequential filmmaking. And it was, the first episode of that sequential filmmaking sequelitis series was Bambi 2. Because it was a nice little softball. Because I love Bambi. Bambi is my favorite kids movie of all time. One of my favorite movies of all. I mean, I wore that VHS tape out. Warped it. It was watched so many times. And Bambi 2, I like parts of. And I will say the animation is a lot better than the usual direct-to-video Disney fair. But it's not all of that great. And it wasn't entirely necessary. But yeah, Disney, notorious for their directed video sequels, as well as the Airbud franchise, because that the first Airbud, for those who don't remember, was a cute little movie. Because the '90s was all about having animals do human things. That's where we got Dunstan checks in, Airbud, uh, the the whole there was like a whole almost like franchise of similarly themed movies of chimpanzees doing athletic stuff like there was most valuable primate about a chimp playing hockey and there was I, I remember all of these things of animals doing human things and the whole thing about Airbud was it was a dog that could play basketball that's why it was called Airbud and then that somehow turned into him playing football soccer volleyball and then that somehow spun off into a series of direct-to-video sequels where the where Airbud and his mate have this litter of puppies that all have their own personalities and they all talk. And then that turned and was called Air Buddies. And then that turned into its own franchise of holidays and all and treasure hunting and going into space. And there was the somehow this cute little kids movie about a dog playing basketball turned into talking golden retriever puppies going into space. Do you need drugs to come up with this stuff like 
That's I'm I'm genuinely asking. Where do these ideas come from? Like, how do you let these things happen and think that it's okay to just allow that into the universe? Uh, and unfortunately, the Beethoven was a was a fun kids movie from the nineties as well about a big burly. It was like a Cujo was made as a family film, and instead of killing people, the Saint Bernard was just big and. And and knocks all kinds of stuff over and whoopsie doodle oh Beethoven you made a mess again. It was essentially a, the closest thing to a Marmaduke movie that we ever actually got. And then that turned into its own franchise, focused on the puppies again. And then we made them talk. And those Beethoven's and the sequels were all titled like the actual Beethoven with written with uh, uh in re with reference to movements or symphonies so it's Beethoven's second and then third fourth fifth sixth etc cetera, etc cetera. and then that turned into talking puppies again i'm guessing to try and tie into the buddies franchise which i guess was somehow profitable to have its own knockoff with Beethoven and I'm serious, this is all real. This is all real stuff that you can actually look up and it exists. And you can probably find it on Amazon somewhere, I'm guessing. Oh, and this one hits close to home. This is almost too close to home. The Land Before Time series. Which right up until the point where they started going to DVD in like 2010, I did own every single Land Before Time sequel. Regardless of quality. And God, did that quality keep going down. And that was still going. They released a new one direct to Netflix last year. And I think you can still find it if it's still on there. And it's if it is, it's definitely one star. And it is unwatchably bad. And that's what sucks is The Land Before Time is one of Don Bluth's best movies. It is amazing in terms of quality. And then Universal got its whole hands on it and kept churning out these animated sequels that had no that were just like flop. There was nothing. There was almost no story to them. There was there was nothing to them. They were they were bad. They were awful. Especially the later they went on. And the, and like once again, apparently at some point they introduced aliens into the franchise. They did everything but go into space. Another one that was a direct-to-video market that kept going long after it was any good, Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, remember the fun shorts that Tom and Jerry had on Cartoon Network way back in the day? It was like, that say it was like a nice carryover from Looney Tunes. Like, you could watch Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry, and they were very similar in terms of quality and, and in terms of comedy. And somehow that turned to the Tom and Jerry movie, which is a, a hot mess, and that that got into then uh, just strings of cheaply animated Tom and Jerry movies that had nothing to do with the what made Tom and Jerry actually any good. Just nothing about Tom and Jerry themselves. It was them and some wackadoo setting. Like, there was a Wacky Racers movie, they tried to do Robin Hood, I think they did 
Jack and the Beanstalk. It was Tom and Jerry in a setting. And it had nothing to do with what made Tom and Jerry great to begin with. I think that's the problem, is they tried to make a five-minute short into a 90-minute movie. And not that almost never works good. Ugh, the whole bunch of next ones that come up. Okay, I'm just going to knock these out. Whole other direct-to-video franchises to follow in those steps of Disney, mostly Disney, because we had Swan Princess, which was an interesting little, like, Don Bluth Disney wannabe movie in the 90, in 1993, I want to say, and it was trying to adapt the Swan Lake Ballet into an animated movie. And it was decent, I guess. It's not great, but I remember, but I do have a friend who absolutely loves that first movie, and I don't know if they feel the same about the sequels, because there are three sequels. One just came out of the other, a couple years ago in CG. It was on Netflix, and it's a holiday special. Oh, God, the holiday specials. But yeah, that they tried to keep, and it wasn't profitable to begin with, so somehow they kept making these animated movies because... It was profitable enough on home video to keep it going. Which, animation is notoriously expensive, so I have no idea how that happens. Next up, another one, Open Season. Which wasn't all that great. It was, a, it was, um... Ah, God, who was the bear? Um, Martin, uh, Martin Lawrence and Ashton Kutcher were a bear and a deer. And it was, it was... It was a weird, not all that great animated movie that somehow got two direct-to-video sequels. I, 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 I can never explain how these things happen. And then, of course, you follow it up with another movie that was even less quality than Open Season called Alpha and Omega, which starred Justin Long and, got, and I think Hayden Panettiere as two wolves. And it was about the Omega, played by Justin Long, who was the nerd, who was the dork of the pack, hooking up with the hot girl. Or hot wolf, I guess. And it was... I haven't seen it because I didn't want to see it because it looked terrible. And yet somehow, that franchise has managed to get like four direct-to-video sequels, including one released earlier this year that I posted to Instagram, called Alpha and Omega Dino Digs. So they had a movie that went so far that the only thing they could think to do to add more to the movie was dinosaurs. And that, it's like, I feel like dinos adding dinosaurs to your kids' franchise is the point where you officially jump the shark. Where it's like, and not all franchises do it, it's, usually, it's always animated movies, and it's not all of them, but I it, it, it's... When Ice Age did it, I felt it, and seeing that, I immediately thought, okay, you're done. You can be done now. You're trying to add dinosaurs to your thing that has nothing to do with dinosaurs. You're done. I feel like going to space isn't one that all movies do with, which will come up later, but when you add dinosaurs to your kids' movies that has nothing to do with dinosaurs, then I feel like you're done. I feel like you can be done now. And there are other better 
things, but I feel like when a kid's animated franchise tries to shoot, uh, tries to crowbar in dinosaurs, that's that's the that the drawn that's that that line must be drawn here, this far, no farther. I don't know why I tried to go somewhat Scottish there, but uh, going into more adult franchises, other movie, other series that were carried over by going direct-to-video, American Pie. Because there were three American Pie movies. There was the first one, which was a raunchy little comedy about, you know, about getting, having sex in high school. The sequel tried to carry over that bawdiness from the, from the first one. The third one tried to make them all adults and marry off the two main characters. And then somehow that translated over into... I th no, the National Lampoon's Van Wilder was a completely separate franchise. I thought, I, for some reason, I was thinking Van Wilder somehow tied into it, but no, that's thankfully, that's not the case. That was its own movie. But, yeah, like The Naked Mile and Band Camp and a whole bunch of di unnecessary direct-to-video sequels just so I think William H. Macy could keep paying the bills because he's the only character as Jim's dad who showed up. Like, not even Jennifer Coolidge as uh, Stifler's mom returned. It's uh, just completely unnecessary continuations of just a... F like, if it's, it's those kind of things that really hit home the idea of, yeah, you can keep making money off of this thing, but because you can doesn't mean you should. You do live, you do work in, an, in a creative field. You should have some creativity behind it, and if you don't have anything, then you can just let it die and move on to the next thing. Like, unless people are really clamoring for more of that thing, you shouldn't be giving them more of that thing. And then the final one for the directed video, because there's a whole bunch... I'm sure you could find, but Universal Soldier, which was a Jean-Claude Jean Van Damme star vehicle from the 90s. It was, I think, one of the follow-ups. It was a follow-up because he started off, was introduced to us in Bloodsport, and then he had a whole bunch of stuff. And then I think Universal, Shul Universal Soldier, Rural Juror, the Universal Soldiers show up like, I want to say mid-90s, like, towards the end of his uh, reign, as it were, as an action star. And he's still a phenomenal action star. It's just nobody's given him the ability to... Because, like, I mean, if you remember seeing the Volvo commercial where it's him doing the splits on the truck, he's still very physically capable. It's just no one's giving him the opportunity, which sucks, because he's a solid martial artist, and he could be... could still be... Like, why... Do what? Like what? Because he's old? That he can't do action? He's, he's proven he can do action. Was it because he didn't do great action to begin with? I don't know. But yeah, Universal Soldier somehow com continued without Jean-Claude Van Damme for like a whole bunch of sequels, including an animated one, all direct-to-video, because I guess they were cheap to make. And there were there was some kind of fan base that was clamoring for more of this cybernetic, I guess, super soldier movie. I don't know. 
But yeah, that's a thing that exists. You can look up all of the different Universal Soldier movies, including a sequel that does bring back Jean-Claude Van Damme and also has Dolph Lundgren in it. The things that exist in the universe. Uh, the other one, before there was the video market at home, you had the made-for-TV market. And there is a whole slew of movies that were made for TV that were sequels to much better movies. First up, first up, Lawrence of Arabia. There was a Lawrence of Arabia movie without Peter O'Toole that took place after the events of Lawrence of Arabia, but before he died of a motorcycle accident, made for TV, made for TV. And the first one that, was in, that I was introduced to that had this mindset of a TV sequel was Mean Girls 2. ABC Family commissioned a sequel to Mean Girls without any of the original characters, not even Tina Fey returning to write. So basically, nothing that made Mean Girls any good and nothing to really tie it into the actual story of the, of the movie. You just wanted your own Mean Girls so you could somehow... Make money. Like, I, like imagine, like I, I imagine all of these happen from in, in like a underpants gnome setting. Phase one makes sequel to Mean Girls. Phase two. Phase three profit. I I I don't get I don't get it. Like I don't get the mindset of how this works. Another one that follows up, uh, there, was a, <laughs> there was a sequel to Midnight Run where they replaced Robert De Niro with Shooter McGavin, Christopher McDonald, and I'm guessing one of his earliest roles in, in anything, replaces <laughs> Robert De Niro in a made-for-TV sequel to Midnight Run called Another Midnight Run. So I'm wondering if the pieces of shit he eats for so I'm wondering if the pieces of shit he eats for breakfast in Happy Gilmore include his movie Another Midnight Run. I'm really tired, you guys. I wanna I really wanna finish this up. I don't wanna do this discussion. I think I'll cut it short, but yeah. Two more made for TV sequels, Birds 2 and Alienation. There was a sequel to The Birds, made for TV, and like six, six Alien Nation movies made for TV. I think they stemmed from the short-lived Alien Nation TV series, which if you don't know, Alien Nation was an interesting, like, not successful, but interesting sci-fi movie starring, I want to say, Lou Gossett Jr. and, here, I'm going to pull it up. Okay, James Caan, Mandy Patinkin, Terrence Stamp. And it was the idea that aliens were living in America. Like, and it was about immigration. It was a, it was a whole thing about immigration, but only substituting, uh, you know, other nationalities with aliens. And the idea was that uh, James Caan plays a police detective who teams up with uh, with an alien who joins the force, 
And that's played by Mandy Patinkin. And that, it was an interesting idea that somehow turned into a TV series. And then that TV series, I think, created this entire franchise of alien police. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what... Yeah, the TV series and TV films. And, yeah, it was all kinds of stuff. I, you know, what was the other one? Enemy Mine, that's what it was. Because there were two of these. There was Alienation, which was about, which just took place on Earth, and it was about the, which was about immigration and took a lot of race relation stories, which I'm guessing is how they managed to keep the franchise going for like six fucking movies after the short-lived TV series. But there was this movie starring Lou Gossett Jr. and Dennis Quaid called Enemy Mine. And that took place in space and was about how these two warring factions, uh, one a reptilian race played, one of the reptilian race played by Lou Gossett Jr. and one, one of the humans played by Dennis Quaid, and they start out hating each other and learn to figure out their, um, you know, learn to kind of come together and bridge the gap between them, at, between their races. And that's what I, that's what I keep thinking of with Alienation, is Enemy Mine. And I, I haven't seen Enemy Mine, actually. But I, I should check it out. It's, it always seemed interesting to me. And I should probably check out Alienation, too. Maybe not all six or seven of the TV movies, but checking out that first one, first movie, should be interesting. Uh, quickly, another thing sequels tend to do when they get desperate is to go meta. You get this a lot in horror, and the main ones that came out of the horror movies where they went meta were Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, with New Nightmare and Child's Play, where they went full-on meta for the direct-to-video sequels after the third one. And it's real, like, it's... With New Nightmare, that was definitely um, Wes Craven trying to... Doing the, essentially, like, the precursor to Scream. So there was something to it, whereas when Child's Play did it and a bunch of other people do it, it's because they're desperate to try and continue the franchise and decide... I don't want, this idea is stupid. So, hey, let's make fun of it. Uh, one, like I said, you get a bunch of holiday specials. One of the, Beauty and the Beast did a holiday special. The buddies do a whole bunch of holiday specials. Swan Princess, Alpha and Omega, their second, their first sequel was a holiday special. And, yeah, that's, that's a really bad sign. That is usually your first go-to for kids' sequels is holidays. Go directly to holiday special. It's a holiday. It's Christmas. It's easy to do Christmas. And that's usually, like, which says a lot for the Peanuts specials, which I love Peanuts, but to start with your holiday special is a bad sign, especially when they kept returning to Christmas for like three or four times <laughs> when they started out doing holiday specials. Oh, uh, well. Another one that a lot of franchises will do to try and keep going is time travel. Uh, they did that, oddly enough, in Cinderella 3. They did a time travel alternate universe thing where they made one of Cinderella's sisters the princess instead through the fairy godmother's wand. 
and made an alternate universe where Cinderella is still a, a, a housemaid and the stepsister gets to be the princess. I have no idea if it's any good. I just know that it's weird and it's some kind of weird alternate universe thing. But yeah, there's that. Then there's uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes was another one where they went back in time to keep the franchise going and also created a time paradox because the Caesar and Planet of the Apes who took over was born because the three main characters from the first Planet of the Apes from because the two main characters from the first Planet of the Apes played by Roddy McDowell and somebody else I forget who uh, came back in time and ha and gave birth to him. So the Caesar who led the the rise of the the Caesar in that original timeline who led to the succession of the apes over the humans was born because his parents went back in time. So that first movie only happened because the characters went back in time and their son gave gave way to the rise of the plenty of apes leading to their birth later on. This is why time travel is a terrible, terrible idea to write about. Um, I like where they're going with the new one where they just start with Caesar and it's supposed to continue onward. I'm interested to see where War of the Planet of the Apes goes next year. Uh, but yeah, the, it's time travel. Time travel. Not even once. Like I said, going into space, Jason X, Leprechaun 4 went to space. Brave Little Toaster went to space. So, a franchise is really bad when it feels like, okay, we've run out of all our other ideas. We've remade the movie like three times now. Gus to go to space. Space, the final frontier for terrible screenwriting. Yep. And there's probably more. There's probably way more, actually, because, God, this whole field is such a trash. It's like trying to find interesting pieces of trash to talk about and you're digging through a what are they called I've completely forgotten what the dump like a dump or uh what's the politically correct term for the dump now because we get landfill it's not a dump it's a landfill we just happen to fill the land with garbage Anyway, Rebranded was another one that came up a lot. Uh, notoriously, probably most notoriously, is Dirty Dancing 2, Havana Nights. Where there's no 2, it's just Dirty Dancing colon Havana Nights. Was originally it's supposed to be entitled Havana Nights. But the studio thought they would make more money 20 years after the fact by tying, by tying it into Dirty Dancing. Who thought, 20 years after the fact, anybody would have cared about Dirty Dancing? Like, that movie probably would have done way better if you didn't try to tie it into an existing franchise. Uh, and then, here's another one. The, notori the infamously bad it, Troll 2, where there are no trolls, there are goblins, was titled Troll 2 by the studios because they thought tying it into the pre-existing troll movie, which apparently was popular enough that they thought tying into it would make the money, and what was originally supposed to be Goblins was titled Troll 2. So this movie has absolutely nothing to do with the original troll movie, 
and has no trolls in it, it has goblins, was originally supposed to be called Goblins. But the studio decided to call it Troll 2. So on top of being a terribly made crapshoot of a movie, the studio decided, well, we've got a piece of crap on our hands. Let's tie it into that thing over there. Here. It's like chucking a piece of... It's chucking a turd at this already existing movie to say, here, you take it. Here, now it'll make more money. It's, it's on you. Uh, and I make fun of... Ice Age for scatological humor. I'm making turd jokes at the expense of Troll 2. I'm really tired, you guys. This is very stream of consciousness right now. And finally, they'll just... A, 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 a franchise is really desperate enough, they will tap into public domain stories. Most notably, Alice in Wonderland... Christmas Carol, and Wizard of Oz. So, Care Bears. Tell two original stories for the first two. And second one, and for the third one, we're going to do Alice in Wonderland. Also, for the fourth one, we're going to do Nutcracker. There's another public domain movie. There's another public domain story we can tell. Rugrats did a whole bunch of direct-to-video movies about adapting pre-existing stories. There was The Muppets. When Disney first acquired The Muppets was notoriously bad for making them. That's where we get Muppets, Wizard of Oz, and, uh, well, The Muppets Christmas Carol was before Disney, I think, but that, that where we also got Muppet Treasure Island. And so, you know, The Muppets would always just keep adapting these other stories instead of telling their own again. We Thankfully, we're back to that now. I'm kind of worried because the mo the show has been canceled. The move the second movie didn't do as well as the first, so I don't know where Disney stands with the Muppets now. And I'm kind of worried what they'll do if they'll go back to their old ways of just adapting pre-existing stories and just letting the the franchise go to rot. Uh, yeah, I've uh, other cartoons like the Flintstones did a whole bunch where they adapted existing stories. There's, another, there's a whole bunch. God, there's so many, and I can't think of specific examples. Uh, Tom and Jerry did a whole, like I mentioned, did a whole bunch of these. Scooby-Doo had a whole bunch where they, well, Scooby-Doo was notorious for just more and more and more stuff about Scooby-Doo just kept getting churned out to video and to direct to Cartoon Network. And almost none of it really has anything to do with the other. It's just more Scooby... Scooby-Doo is one of those franchises I never got. I never got into it. I never thought it was funny or interesting. It was Like, I, I like the pop name Scooby-Doo because it was way more wacky and cartoony. But, like, I, I really did not care about any of the Scooby-Doo characters. And I never thought anything they did was all that interesting. Okay, I think we can be done. But yeah, these are just some of the lengths that studios will go to try and keep a franchise going long past its expiration date. And I think, and it's and as much as I feel like this will somehow stop at some point, 
looking back and seeing that this has been an ongoing problem just goes to show that it's going to continue to be an ongoing problem. And I should probably expect to review Ice Age 6, God knows what now, and what, two, three years, something like that, whenever John Leguizamo and Ray Romano and Dennis Leary need money. Anyway, that does it for this week. That means it's time for the plugs. If you are listening to Popcorn Junkie, you are most likely listening to us on SoundCloud. The home of Popcorn Junkie is soundcloud.com slash popcorn dash junkie. And all new episodes will be put up on SoundCloud. So if you want to follow the podcast, go to soundcloud.com slash popcorn dash junkie and follow it with your SoundCloud account. Or if you want an easier way to follow the podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes. If you go into the iTunes store and search Popcorn Junkie, I will be the first result. And you can go to my podcast where I'll be, where you'll see my orange mug staring at the movie screen, chomping on some popcorn. And you can subscribe to the podcast and get, get, and get that SoundCloud feed directly to your iTunes. So you can listen to that podcast on the go wherever you are. If you want to help out the podcast financially, you can always subscribe to it on Patreon. I do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash popcornjunkie, all one word. And there you will there you can help me financially and donate however much per month you, f- you feel is worth donating to that virtual tip jar that is Patreon. Depending on how much you donate per month, you will be given a tier where you get certain perks, be it thanked in the episode, get... You get to have input in future episodes, and you can even help us out with new shows. The first goal for the Patreon is to start a new show called Make a Better Movie, wherein I take movies like, say, hey, the Star Trek reboot, or the Ice Age, or the Ice Age series, but more likely I will cover movies like Age of Ultron, Fantastic Four, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, the Texas Chainsaw series. Maybe the Ghostbusters remake. Maybe all kinds of things. Movies out there can always be improved. Mostly. I mean, it's hard to think of a, a perfect movie. There's all, But there's always that perfect movie for each individual. But as movies can always be improved, you can help me make a better movie by helping me make a better movie podcast. If you donate to Patreon, the first goal is to start the Make a Better Movie podcast. And if you want a preview of that, go to episode three, Making a Better Superman. That's sort of a rough template for what I'm looking to do with the series. And there will be more in-depth research and thought put into those episodes if you want to make that a thing. And you can make that a thing on patreon.com slash popcornjunkie and donate, a, and donate to help this podcast grow. But hey, not everybody can donate financially. But if you want to help this podcast out, you can always share the podcast via social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. And there you'll find all the updates on new episodes as well as, as well as previews of my thoughts on new movies as they're released. So you can like the page on all updates that are Popcorn Junkie. And be sure to share that page and all the episodes with your friends. Or, if you are on Twitter, you will, depending on how early I get to the movie, see, be able to hear my thoughts on the trailers that, that show before each screening. So if you want to hear my thoughts on movie trailers, you can join me for Trailer Talk on Twitter.com. Follow, just follow at CornJunkiePod, and you will also get the Facebook feed directly to the Twitter feed. 
So be sure to share the podcast on your on your social media outlets, wherever you are, whatever media you're on. If you want to help this podcast out, be sure to share it with anybody you think would be interested or people you won't think will be interested. You never know what people are interested in. I never knew I wanted a talking raccoon in a tree that said, I am Groot, until I got it. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, share this podcast with your friends and help make and help make this podcast grow. Anything else about the podcast you want to say, any kind of feedback, any kind of criticism, any kind of comments, praise, whatever you want to say to the podcast, send all that information to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com, and if you want me to, I will read it out on the air. That about does it for me this week. I am bushed. I am tired, and I'm sick, and I'm tired of being sick. And until next time, I'm John Bailey, and insert snarky quip about movies here. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by The M on SoundCloud for more of his music. Artwork provided for Popcorn Junkie by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. was about his son played by uh day uh played by mm, which of the quaid it's not randy it's the other quaid daniel i want daniel quaid doesn't sound right though dennis quaid dennis quaid it was a there was D and there was N. Anyway, what was I talking about? So yeah, 